For a lot of people, New York City is a place where dreams come true. But for some, being in the Big Apple can be a nightmare. I'm George Bodarki, and this is Cityscape. On this week's show, we're shedding light on human trafficking. According to the International Labor Organization, 24.9 million people are victims of forced labor, which includes forced sexual exploitation. With me now on the phone is Dorshan Leitholt. She's director of the Legal Center at Sanctuary for Families. Dorshan, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. It's a pleasure to be on your program. So what exactly does the Legal Center at Sanctuary for Families do? Well, the Center for Battered Women's Legal Services at Sanctuary for Families is the largest dedicated legal service program to victims of gender-based violence in the United States. And we assist victims um, on the path to becoming survivors. Um, We represent them in a wide array of legal proceedings, family law, sometimes criminal. We have a very robust immigration legal practice, housing law cases, matrimonial, um, public benefits. We're within a wonderful organization, Sanctuary for Families, that provides clinical services, trauma-informed counseling to adults and children. We have a fantastic economic empowerment project. And we found that when we can address the multiplicity of urgent needs of victims of domestic violence and other forms of gender violence and their children, we can help them get safe, get on their feet, begin to provide for themselves and their children, and ultimately become independent. Um, We serve about 17,000 adults and children every single year. Let's hone in on the issue of trafficking. How big of a problem is that here in New York City? Well, it's a big, big problem, and I wish I could readily give you numbers for New York City. I I cannot. But just last year alone, our anti-trafficking initiative provided legal services to about 400 victims of um, sex trafficking. We've also assisted many victims of labor trafficking. And it is an an enormous problem um, because the industry is underground. It's very hard to get a handle on numbers in the city. I could tell you that nationally, about 17,000 people are trafficked across international borders into the United States. And about 300,000 American citizen children are subjected to or at risk of sex trafficking. What do you think would surprise people most about this issue? I think what people are often surprised by is the fact that victims are often children and vulnerable young adults um, who are trafficked by people who live in their own neighborhoods and, and, and ruthlessly exploit them in their own neighborhoods. Most people believe that trafficking is either an international phenomenon and happens someplace else other than the United States, or that if it happens here, it happens principally to immigrants. But we're also increasingly providing assistance to um, American children and and young men and women who um, were exploited in their own communities. What kinds of services do you provide to help people who have been trafficked? Well, we provide legal services, and and, and I could perhaps even give you an example. We provide clinical services, trauma-informed counseling. The levels of trauma that um, human trafficking victims have are often off the charts, you know, a very, very high degree of PTSD commonly. Um, 
and we um, provide them with economic assistance. It's very hard once you have been trafficked and subjected to commercial sexual exploitation to move out of that brutal industry um, and to develop alternative forms of financial economic support. Couldn't really call that support at all. But we have an economic empowerment project, and many of our trafficking survivor clients are getting services there and and developing job skills and entering the workforce. How challenging is it for someone who's been trafficked to step forward and seek help? Um, It's extraordinary for a number of reasons. For immigrants, they're often terrified of deportation, and their traffickers typically use threats involving deportation against them. For American citizens, and some of them are immigrants, of course, as well, it can be terrifying because um, prostitution is a crime. We have urged law enforcement authorities to really stop enforcing laws against prostitution because so many people who are in prostitution are, in fact, trafficking victims and often were initially trafficked and then ended up in a very brutal sex industry where they've been bought and sold um, and reduced to commodities. Um, But because prostitution is a crime, um, it can make it very, very hard for victims to step forward. A number of our clients have multiple prostitution convictions, and um, law enforcement too often has looked at them as criminals not as as victims in need of services and support. So we've been having meetings with um, law enforcement officials, NYPD in particular, to say we need a paradigm shift. We want you to focus on the exploiters on both the supply and demand side, but it doesn't make any sense to target vulnerable people in prostitution for arrest. When a trafficker is caught and prosecuted, how do you maintain the safety of a victim during the trial period? Yes, well, um, if he's incarcerated during the trial period, it's a little bit easier. Um, Very often traffickers are part of criminal gangs or criminal networks, so they have confederates, and that can make it dangerous. We work with our um, trafficking um, survivor clients on something we call safety planning. Um, and to try to guarantee their safety to the greatest extent possible. Now, you're co-chair of the New York State Anti-Trafficking Coalition, right? That's correct. So the New York State Anti-Trafficking Coalition was founded in 2004 when New York State didn't have any laws addressing um, human trafficking. Um, Thanks to the work of the coalition, New York is widely considered to have some of the strongest anti-trafficking laws in the country. In 2007, we were successful in making both sex and labor trafficking felony-level crimes. We made it a felony-level crime to um, sex tourism businesses that send plane loads of affluent Americans to some of the poorest countries of the world to buy um, vulnerable women and children in prostitution. A crime, it's now um, a de-felony-level offense to operate a sex tourism business in New York State. We raised the penalties for patronizing a person in prostitution, um, which recognizes that demand for prostitution is the economic engine of the sex trafficking industry. And we provided services for um, trafficking victims. So 
We were very successful in 2007, and there have been a steady stream of successes in New York State laws that recognize that commercially sexually exploited children should not be considered juvenile delinquents. They should be considered victims in need of services, laws that enable trafficking victims to vacate prostitution convictions. And more recently, um, in 2015, we succeeded in persuading the New York State Legislature to unanimously pass the Trafficking Victims Protection and Justice Act that raised penalties for traffickers and for buyers of prostituted children that make it easier for prosecutors to get valuable wiretap evidence that creates an affirmative defense for people in prostitution who have been trafficked and, and, and provides a number of other remedies. This year, we are advocating for the in-child sex trafficking bill in New York State that would eliminate the requirement that prosecutors prove coercion when the victim is a minor. And that is so critically important because when prosecutors have to prove coercion directed against a trafficked child, that means that child has to cooperate in ways with the prosecution that is deeply traumatizing. That child has to talk about in great detail, um, the violence that was used against him or her. And many children simply cannot do that. So many child sex traffickers are never held accountable and go on to prey on other vulnerable children. Our federal anti-trafficking law, the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, does not require proof of coercion when the victim is a minor, nor do the laws of 48 other states. So New York State is almost alone in this respect. We're very hopeful that we will be able to successfully educate the legislature about the harm of this existing requirement. Do you consider yourself a new abolitionist? Um, I'm proud to be a new abolitionist. <laughs> and, and one might ask, what does that mean? And, um, you know, it's, it's very interesting. It's very New York specific. You know, as we were looking at the first wave of the abolitionist movement, the movement against race-based slavery, we realized that so many of the leaders were New Yorkers. Frederick Douglass, for example, Sojourner Truth, Harriet Tubman. Um, and um, we, as we began to think about it, we realized that what we're dealing with in terms of trafficking is really a contemporary form of slavery, um, and that um, and that there's a real need for a contemporary abolitionist movement to take on this contemporary form of slavery. But we feel that we're standing in the very big footsteps of those who came before us. You have a book out called The New Abolitionists, right? Yes, it is. It's, and it's online as well. And if you Google New York's new abolitionists, you'll see that so many prominent New Yorkers, um, leaders have come forward and proudly declared themselves new abolitionists. But one of the things that is so amazing about this book, and it's, um, it, it features the extraordinary photography of a social justice photographer, Lynn Savarese, without her enormous, enormous contributions. This would not have happened. But you'll see that she has photographed scores of proud survivors, women and men and youth and transgender people who have survived um, commercial sexual exploitation, sex and labor trafficking, and who are now leaders in our movement to end it. Dorshan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so very much.
Dorshan Lightholt is the director of the Legal Center at Sanctuary for Families. More info at sanctuaryforfamilies.org. Now on to a Brooklyn church that's doing its part to end human trafficking. Plymouth Church in Brooklyn Heights has established an anti-trafficking ministry called the New Abolitionists. It builds upon the work the church has been doing since the days of its first pastor, the renowned abolitionist Henry Ward Beecher, in the mid-1800s. Beth Fleischer is chair of the New Abolitionists. She joins me now in the studio. Beth, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you for having me. So what's your role at Plymouth Church in Brooklyn? Well, I'm a member of the congregation, but a couple of years ago, about five years ago or so, I took on researching human trafficking, and that's grown into a role as chairperson of our anti-human trafficking ministry, as we call it, our congregation's work in human trafficking, and our group is called the New Abolitionists. What inspired you to look into human trafficking? Our congregation has a historical background in abolitionism. It was a church that was founded for Henry Ward Beecher, the great abolitionist of the 19th century. He's perhaps better known today as as Harriet Beecher Stowe's brother, uh, she who wrote Uncle Tom's Cabin. But we've always been exceptionally involved in human rights issues. But about five years ago, we were asking ourselves, what can we do today? A church can't be a museum. So what could we do today to act out our faith and to be true to our heritage? And we weren't really sure because it's such a huge topic. We had a learning day. We learned about labor trafficking in India. We learned about sex trafficking in the United States, about child labor issues. And then we sat down as a congregation and tried to figure out what we wanted to do, what would make sense for us. What really struck me and then what has formed our ministry is the amount of slavery, and we can call it slavery, although the word trafficking is used, their equivalent, that goes on in New York City. What kind of services does Plymouth Church provide to victims? We're a church. We don't provide services directly to victims. When we were trying to figure out what we could do to reach out into the world and to help survivors, we're using Mm -hmm. the word survivors. Mm -hmm. Good point. Thank you for that. Directly. We found through the New York State Anti-Trafficking Coalition, which is a wonderful organization of over 40 40, uh, service providers. I found by going to their meetings who we could help, and we formed very special relationships with Restore, with ECPAT, and with Sanctuary for Families. And I can tell you a little bit about each of them. So ECPAT stands for End Child Prostitution and Trafficking, which it's an international organization. Um, I can't even believe that we actually need an organization like this. They started out doing a lot of legislative work, and then they moved on to do a lot of work within the travel industry because a lot of people are trafficked in hotels. So they have a huge campaign to get American hotels to to do um, education work with, with, their, with their hotel staff. But what... ECPAT has just started recently, and their office is in downtown Brooklyn, is a program that reaches out into high schools to teach high school males and females um, and transgendered youth, all youth in high schools, what a healthy relationship is and what to look out for to avoid being trafficked. Mm -hmm. So education is always the key. If you don't know what it is, you can't avoid it. So I'm really excited that when we did our our event on Sunday, we raised, we crowdsourced 
$5,000. Plymouth is matching that with $5,000. It's being split equally between ECPAT and Restore. So $5,000 is going directly to ECPAT's End Child Prostitution and Trafficking's Youth Services Program that goes into New York City high schools. I think that's phenomenal. The other $5,000 is going to Restore to help with economic empowerment opportunities for trafficking survivors because Restore is a group that works mainly with foreign nationals. So yes, most of the people that are that are trafficked in New York City are from New York City, but there are, of course, a proportion of people that are foreign nationals. Restore works with them. And uh, Sanctuary for Families, what we did, they have services where they work with people. They do a lot of, of pro bono law work with trafficking survivors as they work out, let's say, pressing charges against their pimp or any other legal issues that they may have as they're moving on with their lives. Their clients are necessarily, as you may well imagine, really stressed. So again, we don't come up with things to do. We ask Sanctuary what we could do for them. And somebody in their legal department said, our women are really stressed. We had a couple of those adult coloring books mm -hmm. in the office, and they just love them. They just find them really relaxing. So what we did last year for Lent, our Easter project, was we put together tranquility kits that were really nice tote bags with the adult coloring books, with some tea, with some hand lotion, with some candy. But more importantly, besides just giving these, giving these to the women who are seeking legal services through Sanctuary for Families, our congregation wrote notes, handwritten notes that we signed with our first names, both men in our congregation and women, telling the person who got this that they were cared for, that they were a valuable human being. Because perhaps the worst thing that happens in human trafficking is that... You lose your self-worth. Totally. And that's one of the main ways that, that these people are kept under control. They are told that they're worthless and that nobody will ever love them again. So we work hard to destroy that and tell them that they indeed do have worth. How big is the congregation? Um, somewhere around 500 people. Now, is the entire congregation involved, or do you have a committee of new abolitionists? When we do one of our projects, we always set a, a target. Let's do 50 tranquility kits. We wound up with over 140. So when we're doing a project like that, the entire community embraces it, and that's really heartwarming. When we're writing these notes, what we do is, after our church service, we go into our fellowship hall, and we eat cake and drink coffee and whatnot, and some nice person like me will, will come up and say, can I take you to this table? Let me explain what we're doing. And in that moment, myself and the other people that are involved very directly in, in our anti-trafficking work can tell somebody what goes on in our city ask them to write a note. And that way we're educating our entire community. So I would say at this point, our entire community has a really pretty strong idea about what goes on. And the reason that this is important is because we're not just churchgoers. We are moms and dads. We're lawyers. We're doctors. We're people that walk down the street. We're people that go into restaurants. We can see what's going on. We can get an eye about what happens in our community. So every person that we tell is another person that knows what to do. Beth, thank you so much for coming in. You're welcome, and thank you for having me.
Beth Fleischer chairs the anti-trafficking ministry at Plymouth Church in Brooklyn. Learn more at PlymouthChurch.org slash New Abolitionists. From a congregation battling human trafficking to a comic book series working to educate kids on the issue. Writer Thomas Estler is the brains behind that effort. He's the founder of an organization called Freedom Ladder. Thomas joins me now in the studio. Thomas, thanks so much for coming in. My pleasure. So what's the mission of Freedom Ladder? Our mission is to um, educate kids about human trafficking using popular entertainment and give them proven tools to protect themselves. So really it's to put children at the front lines of their own self-protection. And the reason this is because... Children really aren't in danger when they're under the watchful eye of caring adults like teachers or or, or parents or coaches or or anything like that. It's when uh, often when they're on their own, uh, when they're in front of their computer, when they're um, walking to a friend's house, when they're meeting up with a friend at another friend's house. That's when they are really uh, in the most danger. But this is also, you know, part of life, you know, just uh, not always being at home or at school. You created a comic book to educate children about that's child right. sex trafficking. Yes, there that's it is. Right. What's the title? It's called Abolitionista. Uh, and we just came out with our second volume. We're very excited about it. You can find it on Amazon.com. You can read the first volume. Uh, you can download it free, the first volume free from Amazon.com. Uh, it's like I said, it's called the Abolitionista, um, and you can also read it at my website, which is um, Abolitionista dot org. Is there a primary character in this comic book? Yeah, uh, there are two sisters. Um, uh, one is Delilah, and one is Jada. And in volume one, Delilah is really unhappy at, at, at home and at school. Her her mom has a new boyfriend who's really creepy, like. Um, often happens and she just can't take it and she runs away and when she runs away she realizes she has no money and no way to take care of herself and you know some guy sees that she's in trouble and comes and you know rescues her gives her a place to stay gives her something to eat and also starts courting her. Well, this guy's ulterior motive is that he's, you know, in the sex industry. He traffics girls for his own enrichment. And uh, follows that story. Um, Delilah has a best friend who um, has a, uh, uh, is kind of like a, a Veronica Mars character. You know, mm-hmm. she's a young detective. And she starts gathering the clues to kind of solve the mystery of her friend's disappearance. And this leads her down the dark underworld of human trafficking. And, and uh, you know, she finds her friend and, uh, you know, does what friends do. They, they uh, rescue them. So, What inspired you to use a comic book to tackle such a dark subject? Uh, such a great question. And it really answers the question how I started this in the beginning. You know, um, I did, the concept of me giving back to my community wasn't really taught to me until I was a, an adult. From When I was growing up, it was really about your neighbor, people that you knew. It wasn't the idea of giving back to the world or giving back to a culture or a community or something like that. It, it really was about being generous to the people really in your immediate vicinity. So once that penny dropped, I started looking, thinking, or I asked myself, well, how can I give back, 
to my community, and my brain just yelled back, human trafficking. How? Like, why that, of all of the issues? Not only that. I mean, the funny thing is, is I don't think I knew anything about it. I mean, so so this was shocking to me that this this very clear... uh, epiphany? I, yeah, epiphany came to me that this was the issue that I really uh, uh, cared about. Um, How did you educate yourself about it? You know, I had a, a friend, it turns out, that was a um, fought human trafficking in the New York state court system. One day she had just come back from an event of survivors, and uh, she said, she came to me, she said, you know, Thomas, they were all reading comic books. Someone should write a comic book about this issue. And as I mentioned, I had suddenly been uh, awakened uh, to this feeling, uh, uh, this desire to make a difference when it comes to human trafficking. I just felt so strongly about this issue. And then when my friend comes along and, and tells me about seeing all these survivors with comic books, you know, the two came together. You know, here was an opportunity for me to make a difference doing something that I love doing writing. Uh, and that's how we came up with a comic book. So how do you get this comic book into the hands of young people? So we have a workshop and we, we take it to schools and libraries and churches and homeless shelters and, and YMCAs. In fact, it was really uh, developed at a, a Westside YMCA. And These are difficult conversations to start with a kid. You you would think, but that's why we have the slave subplot in here, the, the historic slave subplot. A subplot because the concept of slavery is not uh, strange to them. I mean, uh, I, I feel like the term human trafficking is a very confusing term. Trafficking, does that mean uh, some kind of traveling over international borders? That's not the case at all. Uh, most uh, uh, human, uh, you know, victims of human trafficking in the United States are, uh, you know, American-born. Um, sometimes they are not they are sleeping in their own bed in their own house in their you know with their own family so um i mean uh, there are really horrific stories but unbelievably common stories of families uh, trafficking children what kind of reaction have you gotten from young people well uh, first of all you know i go into <laughs> a school with a comic book workshop and you know kids um try and talk their way out of the regular classes in order to mm-hmm. come to the workshop. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a comic book, and it's not terrifying, really. It's, it's a, a Nancy Drew story. It's a Veronica Mars story. It's a, a, a young detective uh, trying to find a friend who's disappeared. Um, and so most of the comic book is really following the gathering of the clues, which are the the red flags of of a, a child being trafficked. Did you consult with law enforcement oh, or yeah. other activists to put this together? Yes, I, I have an FBI victims uh, specialist that uh, consults me on all my comic books. I also have uh, experts from Covenant House, which is a homeless shelter for young people. Um, Sanctuary for Families is this amazing resource for me, and they also uh, are responsible for so much of the legislation um, and the legal part of protecting victims of human trafficking. I could go on and on gems. Um, There are so many 
people and organizations. Uh, I talked to uh, district attorneys and prosecutors uh, about this. I certainly talked to survivors, um, and survivors are, are real. Um, they're our teachers. Um, they, they really uh, tell us what's going on at the front lines of this horrible uh, crime. This comic book is not a terrifying comic book. It really teaches kids just how to identify a recruitment conversation with, or what they say is how I know I'm being played, uh, how to deal uh, powerfully with a predator, which is raise your voice and make a scene. There's too much at stake for a predator being caught or a trafficker being caught. So if they're in a public place, you know, that's if they've ever wanted to make a scene in the life, give them permission to do that. And finally, get out of that situation and go tell an adult as quickly as you possibly can. You're teaching prevention. Yep. And this is a prevention tool. Mm-hmm. That's exactly uh, right. And what age group are you targeting? You know, uh, the when I first uh, wrote this book, the average age of someone being trafficked is 12 or 13 years old. And um, now I think they've moved that age up to 14 or 15. And so I wrote this book for like 11-year-olds to to try and catch kids before that age, you know, so that they really are aware. And I remember one little girl uh, after our workshop uh, came up to me and she said, you know, thank you for teaching me that I can live my life without fear that that I can that I have the right to protect myself and and I and you know I get I get letters like that all the time and I have to tell you there's just no other I don't have any other reason for for living that's as powerful as that and what's your website if people want more information about your comics about freedom ladder sure um abolitionista.org is uh, it looks like an entertainment site. It's for kids, you know? So it's where you can go read the comic book and, and uh, read a couple of the comic books. Um, and then if you want information about my uh, organization, you can go to freedomladder.org. Thomas, thanks so much for coming in. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Writer Thomas Estler is the founder of the organization Freedom Ladder. For more information on that and his comic book aimed at preventing human trafficking, visit freedomladder.org. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bodarki. My thanks to producers Caroline Rotante and Julia Seabode. And thank you so much for listening.